Welcome, everyone, to our national championship preview of BAMS Radio. And what that means for us is the University of Alabama is on the cusp of trying to repeat for the second time under Nick Saban, trying to make some college football history. Uh, You know, uh, as everyone knows, I have uh, a regular uh, daily radio program in Huntsville and our patriarch owner, former Alabama star, Wes Neighbors, he pointed this out to me. I'd never really thought about it, but Alabama trying to make a different kind of history. Six times a team has beaten someone in the national or in during the regular season and played them again in a national championship game. All six have gone to the, lo- the loser of the first game, including Alabama in 2011 against LSU. So they're trying to reverse a trend. The Crimson Tide, a three-point underdog to the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, yeah, a, a, there's been a lot of chatter and talk. I'm not, I'll say this. I don't think a lot of respect given to this Alabama team uh, because a lot of people believe that, that, that uh, I guess it's not possible to beat Georgia twice and that Georgia you know, can shore a couple of things up defensively, maybe on offense as well, and get a win over the University of Alabama. Who is still going to be without some guys likely that we even saw a month ago, but that's been the mantra of this team, uh, this University of Alabama team, having to overcome adversity and have the next man up. But we're going to talk about it and break it down tonight. Of course, uh, we're on the air due to the wizard, Thomas Watts, uh, you know, from the uh, Port City of Mobile. He does an amazing job. Uh, I thank him and William for picking up for me. I was a little under the weather last week and also doing a lot of high school basketball. Could not uh, be a part of BAMS Radio, but they did a great job continuing uh, to preview the Cincinnati game and which Alabama systematically beat down the Bearcats. A very well-coached team by Luke Fickle, but Alabama handling them. And, of course, William Redfish Barger from 89-93, a national champion and someone that has his ear to the ground and is still very close to the University of Alabama program. Guys, I know I was with you briefly when we talked a little uh, signing day recap. Uh, but again, I hope you uh, gentlemen had a happy new year and, of course, a Merry Christmas. It's good to be back with you again. Thomas, thoughts and prayers to you. We know the situation with your family and the loss of your father. It's never easy, but we appreciate you being here. And of course, uh, talking football is always a great outlet uh, and always, uh, you know, some a, a great distraction for all of us. But again, uh, ha- how you guys doing? And it's great to talk a little football and uh, Alabama on the cusp of perhaps Nick Saban's best coaching job thus far, I think, no matter what happens. But uh, this Alabama team may have come as far, William, as any we've seen. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, if by chance Alabama does win this national championship, it'll, you know, easily be the best head, uh, coaching job that Coach Saban has done during his tenure at Alabama. Um and, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording, you know, and I, I do think because even despite the beatdown in the SEC championship game, um, I, I do think, you know, how inconsistent this team was from September till um, the SEC championship game is probably one of the main contributing factors that, that Alabama's going into this thing as an underdog. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's a couple different ways of looking at this. I mean, I think Alabama's not the same team that they were um, from an injury standpoint um, than when they played Georgia the first go around. And, you know, you've got that working against Alabama. But I do think that 
from from the mental gymnastics side of this deal, I mean, the pressure is all on Georgia. Um, you know, you're you're talking about um, you know a group of seniors at Georgia that that have you know never beaten Alabama. Um, you know, several times in heartbreaking fashion. Um, but you know, the last two times, you know, it wasn't even a contest. So, um, I, you know, I think it's going to be interesting or, you know, I, I think that even, even despite the loss of John Mechie, I still think Georgia, the onus is on them to make more adjustments and, and to make some changes if, if they want the outcome of this game to be, um, a win for them. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be the, the, the 20 point beat down like it was in, in November or first part of December, I should say. Um, but you know, it's a lot of interesting things going on with this. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, guys that are going to have to step up, um, you know, specifically the two corners. Um, you know, I think they look good against Cincinnati. Um, and you know, if, if Pete Golding can, uh, you know, duplicate the game that he called against Georgia the last go around. I mean, I think this defense has really come into its own. Um, you know, they they got uh, um, got to step up in competition from their last game. Obviously, Georgia's got more talent on their roster than Cincinnati does, but they had that same you know talent when they played Alabama the first go around. So, um, you know, I just think, you know, Stetson Bennett's got the weight of the world on his shoulders at quarterback. You know, if Alabama can't, I mean, excuse me, if Georgia can't generate a better running attack than they did in the SEC championship game, it's going to really put the pressure on them. So, uh, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how it all works out. And I think it's an interesting matchup. It really is an interesting matchup. It's by far and away the two best teams in the country, just like it was in 2011, really just like it was in 2017. They continue to try to change. Uh, they, they uh, Because of that 2011 game, they, they got rid of the BCS system. It hasn't really helped all that much. The SEC continues to dominate. Now we have, once again, a college football playoff decided by two SEC teams, uh, Alabama and Georgia. And uh, it, is, it is interesting because I didn't see Alabama's performance coming against Georgia the first time, but it should give them a lot of confidence. But as you said, William, they are uh, going to go into the matchup with, you know, a, a potentially a different combination at corner with Kyrie Jackson and Kool-Aid McKinstry, both very talented players, but both young and inexperienced. Can Georgia take advantage of that? Or will Alabama still be able to play well? Certainly Alabama's safeties are playing well. I thought Brian Branch was the MVP against Cincinnati. He's going to have to step up and try to limit Brock Bowers because to me, the two guys that, are the scariest for Georgia are Brock Bowers, who had an unbelievable game, double-digit catches, I think 139 yards and a touchdown against Alabama the last time. James Cook, as a runner and receiver, is just so talented and so good. Uh, Alabama needs to limit him as well. So I, it's going to be really fascinating to see how the tide adjusts as well defensively with Pete Golding and this coaching staff. It looks like Jay Valai is going to be gone after the game to go to OU. Could that mean Carl Scott comes back as the Minnesota Vikings? Like they may make changes. So some interesting storylines to follow. But as I've always said, I don't think distractions happen with Alabama's coaching staff. The only time I thought it was a factor was Lane Kiffin. And Lane Kiffin is a story unto himself. I think otherwise Alabama's always handled this well when they know coaches are going to move on. 
these guys can always enhance their value by helping a team win a national title. So I'm just I'm really interested to see how these corners hold up for Alabama and then the health of the right side of the offensive line. And we'll talk with William about that a lot with Emil or shoulder issues for the past month and then the ankle uh, for Chris Owens because we've learned he's the best option for Alabama at right tackle and they need him. But going to go back to you, Thomas, and for your initial thoughts. I know you started to kind of break this down uh, from 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 that from the Alabama Georgia perspective, but uh, I, I don't think anyone was shocked that we got this rematch. I don't think so. Uh, I thought that Michigan would struggle to do much of anything on Georgia's run defense, and when that really stalled out, Michigan didn't have an ability to change their pitch. And Alabama, I thought with Cincinnati running a three-three-five. There's, there was a chance that Alabama could do what they ended up doing, similar to how they competed against the Ole Miss Rebels earlier in the year. So, I, you know, great. Here comes the rematch. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this about the rematch. There are some differences in the teams. You know, Alabama has the injuries that you've discussed. And then Brock Bowers has a nagging shoulder injury that got aggravated against the Wolverines, but he's going to play. Based right. on what, I believe that's yeah. based on what Kirby Smart said. Um, but the thing that I, I'm I'm getting stuck on is not that I think you know you're absolutely right in that if you take the starting 22 for both teams, this is a one or a two point game. But there's something really weird about this one that I can't put my finger on, and it kind of drives me nuts. Because you're reading the commentary coming out of Georgia, and a lot of it's not not really we lost to Alabama. It's, well, it's this weird we made mistakes, so we beat ourselves thing. And I know since Alabama's been in so many big games, occasionally Alabama players have said crap like that, and it's always pissed me off. Um, I think that's a really, really crappy way to view anything in life to where, well, they didn't beat us, even though they beat us by 17 points. We beat ourselves. Like, I, I just – I don't like that mindset. And honestly, Drew, the more it keeps coming out from the press conferences and whatnot, from, you know, the media sessions or whatever it is, the more confident I'm becoming in Alabama winning this title on Monday evening. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like that Georgia is not giving a ton of credit to Alabama. I mean, there wasn't a ton of credit given from Cincinnati, I thought. You saw their post game, but most of their questions ask about their season, and it was a breakthrough for them. That's what they were, the narrative that was being played, because Cincinnati was a team all year that had no margin for error, that didn't make one, that got to the playoff, and then just got overwhelmed by a bigger, stronger, faster football team. But I will say, I do think that uh, there's been too much made, too, of, well, Alabama struggled against Cincinnati. They they only scored 27 points. Granted, they did. They had trouble finishing drives. Uh, but I think part of that was they played against the best secondary all year. And, yes, they're better than Georgia's. I don't think there's any question about that. Let, let me jump the in inter- on that point. I'm yeah, sorry. go ahead. So, so yes. Alabama only scored 27 points. But right. realize that 
Alabama held the Cincinnati offense to a college football playoff low amount of yardage in the first half. And because of Alabama constantly running the ball, the game went by very, very quickly. On a per-play basis, Alabama was in the, in the realm of their normal efficiencies. So, yes, Alabama only scored 27 points, and there were some miscues. But the combination of the Alabama defense just absolutely destroying the Cincinnati offense and Alabama being able to stay fairly efficient through large portions of the game, it just accelerated it. So there weren't as many possessions. I believe the, the way to think about it is when Alabama was taking a knee up 27 to 6, that possession matches up. This to this tell you how much faster this game went versus other games that Alabama has been competing in. It would have been the middle of the third quarter in, against Tennessee where Alabama scored 48 plus, 40, 40 plus points. So it's a really lazy narrative to assume that Alabama just magically struggled. Did they, did they put up 40? Absolutely not. But it wasn't because the offense just bogged down. It was because the game was over so quickly just due to how the game played out. It, I don't think it's fair to be critical of the Alabama offense when you contextualize everything else around this Cincinnati-Alabama game. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I, did, I think sometimes styles make fights. Uh, I think Alabama, I, they were still really good on third down against Cincinnati, holding them to two to, third, two, to uh, two of 12, really fourth down as well. It ended up being two out of 15 for the Bearcats. And that's going to be a key area to this game. I mean, I still think Alabama, the way they won the game and the way I said they would have to the first time around, uh, you know, they ha what they have to do is they would have to win the game on third down offensively and defensively, which they did decisively. They won the turnover battle. You know, Bryce Young was a Heisman guy. He played like that, uh, no doubt about it. And they would have to rush for 125 yards. They nearly did. And so I do think B-Rob being healthier is going to help Alabama. It's still going to be tough sledding, but I still take kind of some confidence that Alabama averaged five yards per rush nearly the last time they played. Uh, and so if they take, if they have, if they put extra attention on pressuring Bryce and, you know, t trying to take away some parts of the passing game, the running game could still be crucial for Alabama. And really, uh, William, I think B-Rob, uh, doesn't get enough credit for how good he's been. He really is not nearly averaging 100 yards per game because he has nearly 1,300 heading into this game. And remember, he sat out the game against Southern Mississippi completely. I don't know. Being named first-team All-SEC running backs, a lot of recognition in my book. Well, um, yeah, that's that's good. I mean, I just don't think people understand that, though. I, I think they still, because he had to wait his turn so long and there's other backs. Sure. That, that came into the season with bigger names. Uh, when you look at his body of work, though, I think he's been as good as any in college football, nearly. Well, and, and the, the thing that I think that makes him such a special player was on one leg, the way he was able to perform um, against Georgia the first go-around. I mean, that's leadership. That's toughness. Um, you know, you saw him make the comment after the, you know, the Cincinnati game. Um, that, that I'll do anything to keep this A on my chest. Nobody knows what it means to me. 
Um, you know, it, it's important to that kid. And, uh, you know, in a, in a season where there wasn't a lot of, you know, returning leaders on either side of the ball, um, you know, I, I think that's kind of the, you know, maybe him on, on offense, obviously Bryce and, and Anderson on defense, but that that's leadership. And, and that's something that this team was really lacking and, and short of um, probably, you know, all the way up until the SEC championship game. Um, I, I'm, I'm not leaving out Evan Neal. He, he's a special, special player as well. But um, and, and I think going back to Thomas's point, um, about the way I, about the well, the way Alabama was you know shortened the Cincinnati game and y'all can check my math but if I'm not mistaken I think after Alabama's first drive there was only six minutes and some change left in the first quarter yeah um, that's right. so that's that's, that's a, a real quick way to shorten the game it is they dominated Alabama dominated the time of possession in the game uh, they and as Thomas already pointed out at the start of our show. Uh, Alabama averaged 6.4 yards per rush. Uh, but it, And then an interesting tweet here from Cole Kubelik of SEC Network. It's kind of off the, uh, about the narrative that we just talked about. He said the UGA, UGA defense is phenomenal, deserves all the accolades and discussion, but it is intriguing to note the Alabama defense statistically has a better rush defense, third down defense, more sacks, more tackles for loss, and more INTs. And if you go back to the top 30 offenses faced in the country, Georgia has faced five, and Alabama has faced seven. So I think this defense for Alabama has kind of been shortchanged. I'm hoping they'll prove it again on Monday, Thomas. But this Alabama defense, we've all been critical of Pete Golding. uh, But this group, especially since Florida, has really improved quite a bit. It has, and if you if you really want to have fun with stats, and this is not anything that should be that relevant beyond something fun to talk about, Alabama's, if you pull the Florida stats out, because that's really an aberration for this defense at this point, Alabama's run defense is absolutely ludicrously good. Now, you can't really do that because Alabama did give up those yards against Florida. But as a unit, Alabama's defense is – probably the one defense in college football this year that can put Georgia in a position it doesn't like because what Georgia the way Georgia dominated opponents is they were never put off schedule running the ball right Georgia is an is an efficient team they want to average four and a half, five yards a carry. They want to go to second and five, second and four, which opens up the play action game and let Stetson Bennett do Stetson Bennett things. Well, that's not going to work against Alabama. It hasn't worked for anybody outside of Florida. And even if you say, oh, well, Georgia can just do what Florida did, not really, because that's a completely different kind of attack than what Georgia will be bringing to the table. So, overall, Drew, it's I've said it once, I'll say it again. This is a bad matchup for Georgia. It's the worst matchup they could ever ha- have hoped to see because Alabama <laughs> can stop the Georgia run. And as you said, Brian Branch, I mean, he played a wonderful game against Cincinnati. He was everywhere. So, do am I a little nervous that Kyrie Jackson and Kool-Aid McKinstry will be out there patrolling the secondary 
and being asked to man up against, you know, George Pickens, depending on how healthy he is, and the other wide receivers that I don't know their names, which is how relevant they are, yeah, I'm a little concerned about that. But at the same time, everything else is firing on all cylinders to such a level <coughs> that I don't see how Alabama fans can't be confident going into this game. One thing, one more thing, Drew. These teams are what they are. You're not going to remake an entire football team in 10 days or nine days, however long it since they've gotten back, because one, the semesters might be starting, but two, you can't unlearn six months of work in a week. So I really think we're looking at, you know, these teams are what they are. And even if Georgia were to do a bunch of changes on defense, which the next time someone says they need to blitz more, folks need to understand that Georgia sent five on like half of Bryce Young's dropbacks, and he dropped back 44 times against them in the first time. Um, the next time that, that, that someone says you need to be like, they blitzed a ton already. The problem wasn't that Georgia didn't bring enough guys. The problem is that Brian Robinson on half a leg turned into a freaking wall and was able to just blow up any of that A-gap pressure. So there's a lot that goes into this game, but this notion that everybody's going to change and it's going to be completely different than the last time, frankly, I don't buy it. And with, as I said before, this whole back and forth brouhaha about how, you know, we didn't beat, we Alabama didn't beat us, we beat ourselves. Please, 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 please bring that attitude to Indianapolis because maybe you'll make some more mistakes and maybe you'll beat yourselves again. And <coughs> as I said after the SEC championship game, if Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs don't get it done this year, they're not going to get it done as long as Nick Saban is in Tuscaloosa. There are systemic flaws with how the Georgia football team approaches the game that I doubt Kirby Smart has the ability to fix because they're ego-driven problems. And until he proves that he can change like that, Georgia's going to be the, in the exact same spot they've been in over and over against Alabama, Drew. Well, and I wanted to ask you before I go back to William, this is piggybacking off of what you're talking about with Georgia defensively. Uh, what if they send more than five? What if they start uh, the zero blitzes and send in the house? Uh, you know, I, I, Alabama's had trouble with that in the past. But if you're Bill O'Brien and, uh, and, and Doug Marone and the offensive staff, how do you combat that in your mind, Thomas? So a lot of what that is going to be is either you speed up the tempo so that the reads are easy for Bryce Young and, you know, you're not able to just stare across the Georgia defense and you, you know so-and-so is hot. Uh, I wouldn't really do the screen game. I think Georgia has the athleticism in the front to correct to at least correct for some of that, not all of it. And it's gonna, it really is going to be on Bill O'Brien. But here's the thing about Bill O'Brien. I have been a fan of what he's done throughout the year. Yeah, occasionally he gets cutesy and kind of drives fans crazy. But show me an offensive coordinator that hasn't done stuff like that, that's kind of infuriated fans with stuff he's done. It happens every year. Uh, Bill O'Brien behind a pretty rough-around-the-edges offensive line still has a very, very good offense. So I would expect to see some tempo built in, Drew. I would expect to see a lot of dedicated hot routes if there is a concern that Georgia starts sending six guys. But the other thing is, 
that th it really is a problem when you do stuff like that. And what I mean is if you don't get home, then suddenly the secondary, which wasn't very good in the first in the first matchup and is not going to magically get better in the second, is having to go man up with Jamison Williams. And if you remember, that last touchdown to Williams was communication between those two players, Bryce Young and Jamo, recognizing how he was being defended. Well, if Bryce and Jamison can see that, they can audible and onward we go. So there are a lot of things that Alabama can do, and it's not just suddenly like, oh, Georgia blitzes seven, Georgia wins the national championship. Don't think that. That's, that is a vast oversimplification of a very complex situation for this Georgia defense, Drew. Well, that's a nice uh, analysis there, Thomas, and I'm going back to Williams. But William, offensively for Alabama, the key is once again going to be uh, protecting Bryce Young and keeping him clean. Uh, I thought the O-line played pretty well against Cincinnati. They did rush for 300 yards, but we know Chris Owens had an ankle issue. Echior missed much of the game. Uh, you know, his mother was on Twitter saying he would be okay. Uh, you know, uh, and of course, Evan Neal, the All-American, saying today that Echior's a tough dude and he's a guy you want next to you. Uh, but uh, just your thoughts uh, on the O-line, you know, how the kind of shape the right side might be in, uh, you know, because uh, I think Owens is their best option if he's healthy at right tackle. But I think we also saw J.C. Latham step up at right guard in the last game. Yeah, and I think, too, um, you know, you kind of saw Owens regress a little bit against Cincinnati. They, you know, had yeah. a, you know, smaller, faster um, edge guys, he, you know, he gave up more pressures. Um, but, you know, when, when Echior went down and they inserted J.C. Latham into the game, um, you know, was he perfect? No. But, excuse me, to come in cold off the bench, and that's a, that's a big dynamic. You know, the, the, if you're not a starter, um, you know, you probably only get 10 to 15% of the reps, um, you know, in practice. So, um, you're somewhat prepared, but especially for a true freshman, um, you know, there's a set of nerves to deal with. And, uh, you know, I thought the guy, um, you know, did, did well for himself. You could tell that he's added some good size to his body um, since the first part of the season. And, uh, you know, I, I would say that, uh, you know, coming out of high school, he looked like he had a left tackle body, and now he looks like he's got a right tackle body. I'm not saying he can't play left tackle one day, but – you know, the guy's gotten wide in all the right places. And, uh, you know, you know, one thing that, you know, I've, I've wanted to see Bill O'Brien do, um, you know, throughout the course of the year that he hasn't done, um, that, that could certainly slow Georgia down if they do decide to blitz, is, is go a little West Coast style and, and do uh, a run-pass option with Bryce where, you know, you roll out to one side, you, you release the running back, um, the tight end does a, you know, kind of a shallow flat release to the sideline and the wide receiver of that side, um, you know, does a, does a fade pattern to the sideline. You flood one side of the field. If, if the outside linebacker rushes, you dump it over his head. You know, if he drops it into coverage, all of a sudden Bryce takes off and, you know, we've seen how effective he is when he has used his legs. But, um, you know, there, I think Alabama, even with the, the injuries, on offense, I still think they've got more 
you know, proven tools in their toolbox that they can use. And, uh, you know, I think they've got the capability of, of tweaking and making some changes um, for this matchup this time around more so than Georgia does. Yeah, I mean, that's and, – and, you know, I, I do too. And, and William, I'll piggyback on that. Uh, we, we know John Mechie's not going to be available, but Ja'Cory Brooks has now made big plays in big games, made some plays in that SEC championship game, and certainly made the biggest vertical play against Cincinnati. Uh, you know, your, your thoughts on his expanded role, and really – I still think the tight ends could be a place to watch. I know Brock Bowers is getting all the pub, and he should. The guy's a stud. But I think we both know that Cameron Latou and Billingsley are capable guys. No, absolutely. And I would love – that's another thing that, that, you know, O'Brien can pull out if he wants to is, you know, go RPOs and, and, you know, do do, uh, tight end seam routes um, off of the the run play action. Um, You know, I, I agree. Um, and, 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 you know, Brooks, I think a lot of people have, you know, kind of been mesmerized and, and romanticized, uh, you know, with, with the Mechie situation. Don't get me wrong, he's a great player. But, you know, if you go back to his first year with the program, you know, he was little more than a role player and a, basically a non-factor at all. Um, no, no, no shame on his part based on what was on the roster in front of him. But, you know, he didn't become a factor, really. It's a, a full-time factor until last year. And, uh, you know, I think Brooks, like you said, has really come along and um, shown that he's capable of making explosive plays in the latter part of the season. And his confidence has to be, you know, um, a lot higher than it was back in September. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, that, that kind of surprised me that we, we didn't see, uh, you know, more, more of Sean uh, Holden um, than we did in the last two games. You know, he's another guy I think that's, you know, starting to become a proven commodity as well. So, you know, Alabama's, uh, you know, got a pretty deep wide receiver room. And, uh, you know, obviously none of these guys have had the opportunity to, you know, really step up with, um, you know, the way Williams and, and Mechie have kind of dominated that wide receiver room so far this season. But I don't think it's a lost cause that, that, that Mechie's not going to be available for this game. Yeah, I think they can work around that. I definitely think B-Rob's health helps them tremendously. I still think they might be able to run the ball a little bit better against Georgia, especially if they can be effective moving it early with the RPOs and the passing game. They could wear Georgia down. They certainly wore down their front the last time. Uh, You know, I know Georgia has some depth, but a lot of their D-line, especially if they go tempo, are bigger guys like a Jordan Davis. Uh, that you can fatigue a little bit. They're not as good uh, with the pass rush. And then one wrinkle I did enjoy that Alabama deployed against Cincinnati, we'll probably see it against, uh, you know, the dogs, is they lined up Will Anderson and Dallas Turner on the same side. Dallas Turner got home to get the sack. We know Will Anderson still had two more sacks in the game. Uh, But the uh, evolution of this offense, or this defense, excuse me, has been fun to watch. I think William Federian Mathis, we've talked about it ad nauseum. I know how much you love 48. He has become as good as any defensive lineman in college football and is disruptive. I think he's better than Jordan Davis, and I think he's rapidly uh, rounding into a guy that you could put in the class of a Quinnen Williams or John Allen, Don Payne, all those guys that were first-round picks before him. I don't know. He, is, he, he has kind of – he doesn't have – 
the prototypical body you would you would like, I guess, with some with some NFL guys. But he's tough to block, and I think he's created a ton of value for himself in the last two years. And really, I, I'm like, I, you know, I, I Rodney Orr and I were talking about this on the show this morning on Talking Ball. It, it's really uh, surprising, and really uh, a credit to Freddie Roach. I know he's gotten some criticism, but and a credit to Phil. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of become a, a reoccurring theme when, um, you know, the, the, the pocket breaks down and the quarterback's running for his life. You know, you see Will Anderson, you see Dallas Turner, and you see Fidarian Mathis, sometimes all three um, are, are there to, you know, clean things up. And to me, um, not, not taking anything away from the greatness of Will Anderson, but, you know, when you've got a guy that can push the pocket from inside, and kill the depth of that pocket. And you've got two edge rushers that can collapse it from the outside and try and force the, the quarterback to step up in that pocket. You know, if that depth's not established by the center and the two guards, the guy's got nowhere to go. And certainly Fidarian Mathis gets the credit for that. I mean, for a defensive tackle, you know, he's got a ridiculous amount of sacks. I think um, <laughs> Dallas Turner may be tied right now um, with, with Will Anderson's sack production as a true freshman last year. Um, I know it's close if he hasn't already done it. And, uh, you know, I, I think his uh, development, um, you know, is, is kind of, you know, t- taking this defense to the next level. And, uh, I mean, it's just crazy that um, a position group at any, um, you know, position in, in college football that, that you're getting that kind of production from the third team Sam linebacker that's a true freshman. I mean, let's not forget he started off as the the third team option versus uh, Miami back in September. Yeah, he's really come a long way. I mean, if this team were intact, Alabama, we saw Chris Allen do some warm ups uh, before the Cincinnati game. He did not play. I'm I'm still not expecting him to play against Georgia, but. If you had a Chris Allen who got his only sack of the year before getting hurt on that play against Miami, if you had a John Mechie, uh, you know, Jace McClellan, Roy Dell Williams, all these guys in the running back room that have gone down as well, uh, and the corners, Josh Job, Jalen Armour Davis, I definitely think this Alabama team's the better team. But I think it's still, you know, on paper better than Georgia. And no disrespect to the dogs, but I think they played a more difficult schedule. And quite frankly, I think Alabama's done a better job of developing their talent and putting it in a position to succeed. Georgia's certainly the second-best team in the country. I I give them the credit for that. But I I think, Thomas, it goes back to something you said. There's some fundamental flaws in the way Georgia, you know, approaches, the way they develop players and the way they, uh, you know, schematically what they do. And I still think this gives Alabama an edge in this game offensively and defensively. They still got to do the little things in order to win, such as win on third and fourth down, win the turnover battle, and of course keep the penalties down, which they did against Cincinnati with only six. But if they can not make self-inflicted mistakes like Georgia has been doing, this Alabama team is going to be hard to beat. Absolutely. And one thing that came out of the Cincinnati game that hasn't gotten a lot of discussion but I think deserves some is that – Jamison Williams turned into the fastest possession receiver in college football. Hmm. He turned into a short area guy. Now, that's not really where he wants to be. He wants to be using his speed to go deep. But essentially, 
he was able to fulfill John Mechie's role in short area quickness and get open for crucial first downs. Uh, he had the most receptions. He had seven. He didn't have the most yards because Ja'Cory Brooks had that 44-yard bomb. But it's one of those situations where Alabama has shown consistently that they can change their pitch. You're able to run on Al- – Alabama thinks they're able to run on you. They'll run you into the dirt. They need to pass. They'll pass. And that's really – you know, that that's the formula to play winning football in, the S- in college. I mean, Nick Saban saw it way back with Johnny Manziel or Deshaun Watson or any of those elite quarterbacks that Alabama has matched up against in the recent past. And Nick Saban realized, I need to have an elite offense that can go score 40 or 50, powered by an elite quarterback, to make those last few really tough yards. And Georgia doesn't have that. Now, I think Stetson Bennett is a good quarterback. I think he deserves all the credit in the world for getting Georgia to where he is. And he played wonderful against Alabama the first game. You know, 340 yards, if you had told me he was going to have 340, I thought Alabama would have lost. That's just unreal to me. But do you, do you trust Stetson Bennett, who against Alabama has consistently failed to make plays because Alabama was able – to put pressure offensively on a great defense, do you trust him to be able to do it when he has never done it with anything resembling consistency? I personally don't. And because of that, I think Alabama's going to beat Georgia. And because of all this brouhaha about, you know, we didn't get beat, we just lost, or some, some whatever that was. I mean, frankly, it sounds like a bunch of bellyaching and excuse-making to me. But because of all that nonsense, I have Alabama by 10 points in this one, Drew. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm leaning toward Alabama 31-20 to 20, uh, with a late touchdown to pull away and put it away. I, I definitely think it's going to be a tough battle. I have all the respect in the world for Georgia, but I think Alabama is better on both sides of the ball. I think they have a better coaching staff, and it's not being played up. I mean, Kirby's losing assistance in this game, too. Dan Lanning going to Oregon, I think he'll be focused, but Dan Lanning going to be leaving to run the Ducks program, uh, you know, and so that 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 has been a situation that Georgia has had to deal with. We already talked about Jay Belisle leaving Alabama staff, so shocker. Alabama's not going to have the same coaching staff next year. It's never happened under Nick Saban, but I think Nick Saban knows how to navigate this process better than anybody, and certainly I think this Alabama football team understands what's at stake and, you know, what they have a chance to do. They've got a chance to make some more history and then to give themselves a chance, uh, you know, if they can win this game, to have another shot at three-peating, which they nearly did in 2013. But, you know, this would be, I think, Nick Saban's best coaching job because of everything you lost from a year ago. And then, you know, uh, this offense having to be rebuilt, the coaching staff being new. But yet we've seen the improvement that we wanted to see the entire season, especially defensively. Uh, now, Alabama's going to have to be solid in the kicking game. Uh, certainly, Georgia may try to make some game-changing plays there. But the one thing that I will say, I do think, uh, I, 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 you know, some people are making a lot out of Jameson Williams getting injured, returning the kickoff. First of all, I was just surprised they gave him a chance to return it. What they've usually been doing is kicking it over his head. 
but special teams could be a big deal. I hope Alabama can get the snap and hold down with Will Reichert because that's really the only way Will has struggled. Uh, but the special teams could have some hidden value as well. It's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, which team plays a more fundamentally sound game in the kicking game uh, coming up uh, on uh, Monday night. But I still think in all three phases, Alabama can have, you know, a definite advantage in this game, though I know the punter, you know, is outstanding uh, for Georgia and was the first time around. Well, I tell you what, y'all, you know, jarred my memory on, on two separate fronts. Um, I, I think offensively the, the the key to this thing, and I would certainly start off where I left off, two, you know, two games ago, um, I think the tempo is, is very important and was a key in the, them beating Georgia the first go-around. You know, it's not just Jordan Davis. Uh, Wyatt Davis is a wide-body guy that, that got gassed real bad along with Jordan Davis, um, you know, the first go-around. So I think the tempo needs to be explored um, until Georgia proves that it's not an issue for them. And the other thing is, um, you know, when I was talking about Brian Robinson's toughness and leadership, there, there's no doubt in my mind that Jamison Williams was concussed versus Cincinnati. Mm, uh, yeah. You saw, his, you saw his glassy eyes. I mean, he, he was concussed. And, you know, when you saw him put that helmet back on and go right back out there, uh, you know, that's toughness, that's leadership. That kid's got brass balls. And so – you know, I, I just think that that may be, you know, what kind of separates the two teams is, is you know, Alabama's, you know, despite the um, the recruiting rankings, despite the pro potential. I mean, I think Alabama's got some warriors on this team that have emerged. Evan Neal's, you know, been there from day one. Um, I, you know, I think it's time that people start, uh, you know, paying, paying some compliments to the 270-pound third-string center. That's um, played a big part in the last two victories, Seth McLaughlin. Um, you know, him not getting bounced around like a pinball the last time they played Georgia was impressive to me. So, um, and, and I, I'm kind of along your line of thinking, Drew, as far as the outcome of the game. I think, you know, 31 to 20 sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, 31 to 20, uh, William uh, leaning that way as well. Uh, Thomas, I know, you know, we've got a few minutes left in the show. Uh, you know, in your mind, uh, is there somebody that's unsung that's not being played up enough for Alabama that could play a crucial role in this game, either offensively or defensively, or even in the kicking game? I think James Burnup, the last two games, I know he's been criticized punting-wise, but in these two indoor venues in the Mercedes-Benz uh, Super, uh, you know, Dome, and of course, uh, as Alabama played in uh, in Jerry World, and now they'll be in the Lucas Oil Stadium, his punting has been better as well. Certainly hasn't been that of Georgia and what they've been able to do. But uh, I, I think when you look at Alabama and the and their uh, in their punting game, it has been better. And so uh, you don't you hope you don't have to punt a lot though. In this game, you have to be realistic that Georgia is going to make some stops, and so you're going to have to punt the football. But I still think when you look at it uh, and you look at uh, Jake Camarda, he, he averaged 45 and a half in the two punts he got against Michigan, and we know what he did against Alabama. But, again, is there someone unsung that you think could step up? Quietly one of the best 
players that this seat, one of the best transformations this season has been Daniel Wright. Um, I realize. Yeah, Georgia, that's a great point. I, I realize Georgia, Alabama's probably winning if Daniel Wright sees the field a lot because he's the dime guy. But if Alabama is able to gr- get, grab a lead at any point in this game and Georgia has to accelerate and try and spread the Alabama defense out, which is absolutely not their game. That would be a tremendous change from Georgia. Then Daniel Wright would see more of the field, and because of that, you know, it used to be one of those situations where, oh, no, Daniel Wright's seeing the field, you know, whale, gnash teeth, scream, etc. But he's had a really good back half of the 2021 college football season. So should Alabama's offense be able to establish itself, you know, run the ball, pass the ball, be fairly efficient, be its normal efficient self and force Georgia into situations where they can't throw three tight ends out and they have to go a lot of receivers with complex patterns and whatnot, even though that's really not their game. That means Daniel Wright's on the field. And in previous Daniel Wright iterations, it hasn't been very pretty. I don't think he was, I think he was not great as, kind of a, like a third safety, but he's come along a lot, and that could be a guy. So mark it down. If Daniel Wright sees the field frequently, assuming no injuries, of course, that probably means Alabama has a lead, and it probably means that Daniel Wright could be the guy to just ice it with a big play, which he's kind of had a penchant for doing. If you remember, it was Wright's destruction of a screen against Cincinnati that shut down their first drive. And he's been doing stuff like that throughout the back half of this year, Drew. Yeah, he has. He really has. He has stepped up. and I thought he was outstanding against Cincinnati. Really uh, played physical, had a key fourth down stop. Uh, you know, and I, I expect Alabama to play well. I think they understand, you know, what they need to do to win this game. I think they are in George's head a little bit. I mean, I... I just I, I think that they uh, it, it, when you look at it, I, and I agree with you, Thomas, some of the reaction you're getting from the Georgia coaches and the players. Uh, you know, I heard I, uh, Nolan Smith today, their pass rusher, talking about, well, two or three plays and, and you know, we win the game and, you know, we, we busted, we can't do that. But you made the point, if there was two or three plays that Alabama, you know, had a chance to make that they go ahead and, and uh, execute, then Alabama could have won the game going away, uh, you know, and, and really embarrassed Georgia in this contest. So, again, I think Alabama has a lot of things going in their favor. I think winning the championship is huge. Uh, I don't think this Alabama team is going to take it for granted either. I think they want to win this title. Uh, I think they understand that what a, a journey it's been through all of the adversity this, this team has faced. And William – uh, to, to piggyback off and let you have your final thoughts, you made a good point about how this has been a different team. Nick Saban's had to kind of massage this team, but you made a point at the start of the show. There's There's been a lot of leadership and toughness develop on this team. It's been a little bit of a different process, but still the same end game. Well, and I think, you know, this this is the way I look at, at, at a team, and I always like to wait until the end of the season before I evaluate it because – it's you're going to drive yourself insane and it makes no sense to, you know, lose your mind every Saturday, you know, looking for these kind of results. Um, you know, it is kind of become a trend and a trade of a Pete Golding defense that, 
for whatever reason, they'll they'll muck it up and be inconsistent in September and October, and all of a sudden they turn it on in November. But, you know, if you look at the talent level of this Alabama defense, you know, on the defensive line, you've got, you know, Fedarian Mathis, Will Anderson, Dallas Turner. All three of those guys are going to be, you know, high, high draft picks one day. Um, but the inside linebackers, you know, there's no Reggie Ragland back there. There's no Reuben Foster. Hell, there's not even a Sean Dion Hamilton in my book. And, you know, on the back end, there's no Minka Fitzpatrick or Marlon Humphrey. So I think that this production um, that, that's kind of materialized in the last, you know, month, month and a half, I mean, they're doing it with despite the recruiting rankings, and that's not what everybody needs to look at. Um, I think they've done it with one of the least amount of talented groups on defense as far as what these – and don't get me wrong, a lot of those guys, including the two inside linebackers, are going to play on Sundays. But it's certainly not the same level of talent at the linebacker position in the, in the secondary that as Alabama fans have been accustomed to over the years. Yeah, and, and William, I guess you're going with 31-20, to 20, so am I. I think Alabama puts this away. I, th- I, I, but I'm going to go with a little bit different deal. I think I still think Bryce Young's going to play exceptionally well, but I'm going to go with Brian Robinson as the MVP. I think hopefully uh, he'll finish. You know what Bo Scarborough nearly started. I saw Bo congratulate him after the game uh, in the Cotton Bowl. But the thing is, is that Bo was headed to another MVP against Clemson before he got injured. Hopefully Brian Robinson can really uh, uh, punctuate his Crimson Tide career. Uh, in this season that he finally gets a chance to showcase his ability uh, by having a big game, by having a 100-yard-plus ball game. Uh, It'll be a well-earned one against a a tremendous defense against Georgia in reaching the end zone. Uh, But I'm going to go with B-Rob being MVP. Defensively, uh, you know, that's interesting. You know, Thomas already brought up an unsung guy like a Daniel Wright stepping up. Uh, I'm going to go with Old Faithful here, though. I'm going to go with Will Anderson. He's just been so good. He's going to end up with 100-plus tackles with, I think, two more in this game. I think he's going to get home to the quarterback again once or twice. And then I think his supporting cast, I think he's elevated those around him. But Darian Mathis is going to play well, Dallas Turner. I just think this Alabama defense is going to rise up and prove it's the best in college football. So, But I've got Alabama 31-20 to and Thomas. I know you you kind of handed around to what you that you like Alabama by ten. Uh, just give your final thoughts. So uh, I'm actually going to take Alabama by eleven, thirty-eight twenty-seven. Uh, so we all got them by eleven. That's interesting. Well, and to explain why, Georgia's offense was able to do some good things, keep moving the ball, but they were making critical errors for, throughout the first game. I think Georgia will continue to be fairly efficient on offense. But it's just not a team that has shown, at least against Alabama, that they respond very well to adversity. I mean, it blows my mind that heading into what I think you can universally say is the biggest game of these guys' lives, they're essentially saying, we didn't lose the first one, we beat ourselves. I think what you said before, Drew, Alabama's in their head for some reason, and I think what you're going to start seeing as the, as the game gets closer, keep an eye on the line. The line was – it came in at one before. It went up to three with some sharp bets. 
keep an eye on the sharps. If the, the line keeps going up, then they know something that we don't. But at the same time, I think you're going to start seeing that groundswell of this is Georgia's time, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> it was a fluke. This is not the same Alabama team, John Mechie, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, a lot of it's junk. It's bad analysis, not backed up by statistics. Yes, John Mechie is gone, but it's not like Alabama's trotting William Redfish, Barger, Thomas Watson, Drew DeArmond out to go catch passes. And just buckle up for a wild game. I expect Alabama to win. And uh, I said this after Alabama won the first time, but should they win this game, Alabama will be the prohibitive favorite to three-peat next year because of everything that looks to be coming back. I mean, at, at worst, it's Bryce Young and Will Anderson. So, you know, I, we'll talk about that more after the game. But as good as this team has turned out to be, there's some serious pieces coming back next year as well, Drew. Yeah, there is. Jameer Gibbs already out of the portal, coming to Alabama from Georgia Tech to help the running back room. Elijah Ricks, the transfer corner from LSU, uh, could be a, should be a plug-and-play guy. And we're even hearing that there could be, uh, you know, three to four more pieces coming out of the portal, maybe even five. I mean, Mario Williams at Oklahoma just went into the portal, the wide receiver. He's someone to watch who is – a guy heavily recruited by Alabama last year. He's got some outstanding vertical speed with OU having going through their coaching change with Brent Venables, uh, former Alabama uh, stud Todd Bates now a part of that staff. But it's going to be really interesting to see. And then, of course, uh, you know, I think Alabama would be looking for help along the D-line, perhaps even, uh, you know, uh, an offensive tackle, depending on the development of Tommy Brockermeyer. And if J.C. Latham can slide back outside uh, to right tackle. But I think Nick Saban's not going to leave any stone unturned. Certainly, they'll continue to recruit for the February signing period. But I think their focus is going to be on the transfer portal. And, you know, Bill O'Brien spoke to the media today, guys, and I thought it was interesting. He said, you know, this transfer portal stuff is is interesting. It's almost like free agency. I'm just going to let uh, Nick Saban handle it. And Nick Saban did very well last year bringing in Jamison Williams and Henry Toa Toa. He may bring in some more. So I it, I just think even that Alabama's done a heck of a job, uh, you know, navigating this season. And I, I do I do think they're going to be even better next year. But hopefully they can finish this drill. And we'll be bringing you a celebratory BAMS radio early next week with Alabama claiming uh, their 19th national title. But I will say, as we're going off the air, uh, Alabama basketball is playing right now. They're near halftime against the Florida Gators. Looks like it's a 39-36 to 36 Gator lead uh, with under 10 seconds to go. So Alabama struggling a little bit on the road, but it's life is tough in the SEC. There's no doubt uh, about that. So Alabama and Florida are going to be he- you know, headed, looks like, for a tight game. But Alabama, once again, having trouble shooting the ball, only 30% in the first half. Jawan Gary leading the way with nine points. Jaden Shackelford and Javon Quinley with eight apiece. But Noah Gurley in foul trouble. Uh, Darius Miles and Keon Ambrose Hilton as well. And Charles Bediaco. All the bigs in foul trouble for Alabama. So going to continue to follow that the rest of this half. And it is halftime now, 39-36. The Gators lead by three. So we'll have you know some more basketball discussion next week as well. But for Thomas the Wizard Watts, Uh, William Redfish Barger, we all agree, it's interesting, Alabama 
two of us 31 to 20, William and I, and then 38 to 27. We all believe Alabama can make history and become the first to beat a team for a national title twice in one season. And we'll be uh, discussing the outcome next week on the show. But we all hope that Alabama is about to bring another one home. And for everybody that has supported us, we appreciate it. We hope you enjoy this show. And uh, we're going to, you know, come to you again next week. But we appreciate everybody and have a, hope they had a happy new year and a Merry Christmas. And BAMS Radio continues to roll on. And we hope you uh, enjoy our, our, our show this week. Good night, everybody, and roll tide.